This episode of the Fastest Known Podcast is brought to you by Swiss Performance Running Shoes and Apparel Company, On. On was born in Zurich with one goal, to revolutionize the sensation of running based on one radical idea, to give runners the softest landing followed by the most explosive takeoff. This, said more simply, is the feeling of running on clouds. On's athletes are establishing FKTs frequently and most notably includes Katie Scheid's White Mountains Hut Traverse, where she wore On's top-rated cloud flow shoe. Find the on shoe for you at on-running.com. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast, where every Friday you hear some of the most interesting people in the sport, and today is no exception. Normally we talk with athletes who are doing FKTs, but this episode is really different, very interesting. We're speaking with another leader in the sport, but in this case, a co-founder and a co-owner of a running shoe company based in Switzerland. The company is called On, and I am speaking with Casper Capetti. Welcome, Casper. Hey, welcome, everyone. I'm, I'm happy to be with you. Now, you're one of the three founders of, of On. You're based in Zurich, Switzerland. But what is your role in particular? <laughs> I ask, ask myself the question every now and then. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm, as the title says, I'm, I, I co-founded it with uh, my friends Olivia and David back in 2010. Um, and you know, every year my role changes in a way. So in the beginning, we were very much focused on on building the product and 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 manufacturing it and sending it through uh, to runners around the globe. And so. Uh, once we we kind of got the product and manufacturing dialed, I focused a lot on bringing the product to runners around the the the, the globe um, by building up the distribution. We're now available in about sixty countries, um, and in many of those, on uh, runs a subsidiary. I like, for example, in the U.S., we're based in Portland, Oregon. Um, uh, now that the company has grown quite substantially, we're about four hundred fifty people now. I'm working full time on the brand. Um, I spend a lot more time on the product side again, which I enjoy a lot. Um, and I oversee everything that's running and outdoor related at all. Terrific. Well, we're now we should quick jump into your technology because your technology is very particular. You have that uh, a style of cushion and rebound, if I may. But tell us what running on clouds means to you. Well, running on clouds is what you'll feel when you put them on. And typically, we don't talk about the products, but we we, we ask people to just try them. And and then uh, that, that's that's what comes back. But the original idea was that is an insight. And when you run, you want to have a soft landing. You want to be protected because typically you would run on a, on a hard surface. In the U.S., a lot of people run on concrete, which is the hardest matter, uh, maybe besides glass out there. Um, so you want to have a soft landing, but also then when you push off, you don't want to lose any energy. So you want to be as firm as possible. And they seem to be opposites. Um, and on reinvented uh, the cushioning system and uh, basically came up with a, a technology that is soft on the landing, then collapses and becomes firm. So you have an efficient, fast push off. Excellent. Well, the, the context here for me is that on started, as you said, in 2010 in a very competitive marketplace. I've seen shoe companies start and fail in the time that you have started and succeeded. 
And so part of it is that technology story. And if I may provide further context, it's a big story right now. There is that minimalist boom, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which made a lot of chiropractors and podiatrists happy. <laughs> but I don't think it made a, <laughs> I don't think it made a lot of runners happy. And then it swung in the direction that you were already going with cushion. Hoka, of course, made uh, a, a big entry into the market with their cushion shoes, and even the giant company Nike with their 4% Vaporfly, they're telling a similar story successfully. So you came up with something that appears to be working for runners. Right. And you know, I'm, I can brag about the technology because I did not invent it. So Olivier, my co-founder, did. Um, and when he first showed me uh, one of his early prototypes, I thought he was completely out of his mind. Straight <laughs> I was like, Olivier, don't don't waste your time and, and effort and money on this. I'm definitely not going to get involved um, because I thought uh, he would not stand a chance against the A6s and Brooks's and, of course, Nike and Adidas. They're, they're even bigger companies and stronger companies. Um, it wasn't until I actually put the first prototype on and I remember vividly I, I walked around the conference uh, table in a meeting room and I had this, this very interesting sensation that I had never felt before. And maybe here's a little bit of, of background. So Olivier, my co-founder, he was um, one of the best triathletes uh, of his of his time. He he was up there with uh, Dave Scott and uh, Mark Allen. Um, he ran a 240 uh, marathon in the Hawaiian Ironman in the World Championship Chips there, I think in uh, 2000 or 1999. So the guy know his, knows his running. I'm the very opposite. I'm, I used to be a semi-professional snowboarder and I hated running, but I had to do it for training. And um, I also enjoyed mountain biking. So eventually I started doing some tries on my own and um, I just always had a runner's knee. Um, I had this, this excruciating pain in, in, my, in my knee. I literally about maybe 30 minutes into every run. And with that early prototype that Olivia gave me to try, for the first time in my life, I could run for two hours. And it just stopped because I got tired, not because I was hurting. And that's when my mind changed. So coming back to what you referred to, um, these trends, we, we were not even aware of a barefoot trend or, or, or later a maximum cushioning trend. We just wanted to make a very good product. Um, and this nice. is what we came up with. So in the beginning, you did, you, that, you did you what know? you thought was right. You did well, what you thought was right and would yeah, work. Exactly. And it, it worked for us and everybody we, we gave it to, they either hated it or loved it, but there were enough lovers that, that we, we continued. But I remember when the minimalist, the barefoot movement was, was, was very big. This is so 2010, 10-ish when the, the book Born to Run was, was the, the big hype. We actually had people that liked our shoes, but they were like, hey, can we just cut these elements, the clouds off? Um, because then, it, you know, every, they liked everything about the shoe, the minimalist construction, just didn't like the cushion. Um, interesting, interesting enough, Hoka, they started at the same time as us, one year earlier, 2009. And both both brands, we, we grew similarly, and we're about the same size today. We have maybe a little bit different strength in different geographies, but um, both of us, we're changing how, how people look at running shoes. And we also, we're also grateful to, to Newton that who back in the day 
they uh, they were the first one to challenge basically the dual density missiles that everybody was making at the time. Excellent. Wow, that's a terrific story. So my perspective is that you you saw something that you liked that you thought would work personally. It wasn't theoretical. You didn't do market research. You didn't hire a focus group. You put them on your feet. It felt good. And then as a company, you committed to it. I think that, in my opinion, that I like that story where instead of following what you think you can sell, you do what you think is right and commit to it. And as you say, uh, your neighbors across the border there in France, Hoka, and of course, Jean-Luc and Nicolas, they're your, your contemporaries. And then um, Ultra, I might mention as well, they had that zero drop, that wide foot, and they've been successful. So the companies I see of your size, and of course, you're, you have a good size company, but like you say, compared with Nike, you're tiny. Uh, you have succeeded by committing to a vision and sticking with it. And instead of making a big range of products that you think you might be able to sell to millions more people, you stick with what you believe in. That's correct. And you know, it's quite interesting how uh, both Hoka and On resonate with consumers. And I mean, both both brands are not just used for running because what we do is just extremely comfortable. Um, so that then, you know, the comfort is the defining trend and Americans are, are the experts in comfort, right? Um, so if you have something that where, where you can go longer, where you're not hurting, where you have fresh legs, um, your, your legs don't swell, swell up, whether you're an ultra marathoner or you just want to survive in New York City on a hot day, um, you know, there are equal needs for that and, and, and the product just works. So, you know, th these markets that we're in, they're, they're just huge markets. Um, and um, with comfort being such a, a big driver and the sneaker culture gravitating to, um, to running shoes in general, um, you know, we're, we're, of course, benefiting from that. Right. Interesting. Uh, and I like the way you called out Newton. Indeed, uh, I'm friends with the, the inventor founder, Danny Abshire. And there's a commonality here in that they were initially sold directly with no dealers to triathletes, just like you have a triathlete background uh, or heritage as well. And I think that's because triathletes really appreciate technology. Maybe runners have been a little slower to technology, but triathletes, boy, they, if they don't pay attention to their equipment, they don't get very far. So I think that's an interesting commonality. And Newton had good technology, and unfortunately, that company was sold and not doing well. They've almost disappeared. So I'm glad that On is still thriving. <laughs> Thank you. We're, we're glad too. Um, you know the that that nucleus in in triathlon. Um, we, we never saw On as a triathlon company, but you're right. I mean, triathletes they they are very. I mean, they just run a lot. Because they train a lot, and you know, if you run four, five, six times a week, you're going to run into into issues. Especially if you're also riding a bike, and maybe your your leg muscles are a little bit bigger than they would be in a runner. So, I always felt that triathletes need extra help in running, and you know, that some of the first athletes that 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 tried ons and were successful in them were actually triathletes. And, 
you know, Freddie van Leerde comes to mind, uh, who won the 2013, was it 2013, I think, or maybe 2014 Ironman World Championships. And I, I remember that, uh, you know, when, when he, he called us, um, I remember I was in, in Austin, Texas for the running event, uh, a trade show. And uh, Olivier was like, hey, you know, Freddie called again and he wants to run in our shoes. And I was like, who's Freddie? And he's like, well, you know, um, uh, he might uh, he might be on the podium in, in Kona. I was like, well, do we want another triathlete on the team? And I'm like, what, what does he want? He was like, well, he, not that much, basically free shoes and some some premiums. We're like, okay, well, let's do it. And, and he ended up winning. And that was one of those stories of a triathlete that had been battling injuries for a while and with on could run better. And then, of course, later on, uh, Olympic champion Nicolas Spierig um, uh, also uh, had a lot of success in the shoes, got over her shin splints. Um, and that's how that's how we were put on the board. Um, and then the, the running community, as you say, they were a little slower to react. But once they get going, and, and there you basically, we went through the run specialty trade. And Olivia and I, we spent and still do a lot of time running with the best running store owners in the US, just because they are opinion leaders, they give us great feedback on the product. Um, and, and that's how the product eventually got on, on runner's feet in the US. Nice. Good story. Well, again, I really, I never thought of this, Casper, but now that I think of it, I look at the brands that have done well of your size, it's because they have a particular vision and they stick to it. They don't try to be all things to all people. If someone says, well, if you just tone it down and do it like everyone else, you'll sell more and you don't do it. On is stuck with its vision. And indeed, uh, as I look at your product catalog, everything has that cloud reference. You know, I, I like it. You, you have the running on clouds permeates your thinking and comfort permeates your thinking. And you've stuck with that and you've gotten traction. Yes, and you know that wasn't obvious in the beginning when we had one shoe, one model, for the first pretty much three years, and and we felt this is like like the you know the Ford Model T. This is this is the shoe that everybody needs, and no one needs anything else. And and then over time we start to be convinced that, um, or had to be convinced that people run on different surfaces, people run different styles. People, you know, are of different body shapes. They run different distances, and and we started to expand the line. And today, just like a Brooks or an Asics, there's an on for every type of runner and for every surface. And um, just very uh, lately, um, and, and some people might know that in Switzerland we do have mountains. Um, and actually, Olivia and I, we both grew up in the mountains. Um, you know, we, we we developed a very strong trail running and 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 hiking range. Um, that uh, you know now was just again part of the UTMB um, in the top ten uh, um, for both men's and women's, um, where obviously that's the ultimate uh, the stomping and proving ground for a product like that. And we were very happy to see that it performs on that stage as well. Right. Yeah, you had success at the. Well, I should say your athletes had success at the Marathon du Mont Blanc and at the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc just a week or so ago, top 10 there, and a win at the Marathon du Mont Blanc. So all surfaces, cushion helps. Now, the big boys like Nike, they have provided a service because they've done testing, which they've published, which is helpful. You know what I mean? So every, I think the sport grows in that sense. 
And the uh, 4% vapor fly was tested in my hometown of Boulder, Colorado by Dr. Roger Cram, very credible person, who said that this type of technology actually works. And statistically, they can demonstrate it. That's that rebound, as you noted. But here's the really interesting thing that as the training week goes on, people get faster. This is, and this is what you just said, Casper. It's very, very interesting. So someone is faster in a rebound, a cushioned rebound shoe such as yours, but by after seven days, they're even faster. You see what I mean? It's because the recovery is better. Yes. And, you know, the one thing that, that shouldn't be underestimated in, in all these shoes, everybody talks about their cushioning and their foams. The Nike 4%, like every on since day one, um, we use plates in the, in, in the shoes um, that, that we call them the speed board in, in, in on's terminology. That will help the runner transition and push off and, and, and will help him, him or her to transfer energy from landing to push off. And in, in some of these shoes for fast runners, these plates are becoming very stiff, whether they're made, made out of carbon or, or some other very um, stiff plastic material um, isn't, isn't a big question. Um, but that also means you need to run these shoes at a certain velocity. And that's often right. something that, that gets, right. gets overlooked. You know, if you're, if you're a five hour marathon, you're probably not not well um, advised to, to run in one of these products. That's, a, that's totally true. And Newton found that out just as an aside. That's such a good point. The plate turns out to be one of the key aspects of that rebound effect. It's not bouncy foam. That's the cushion. But the plate gives you that rebound. But if you're jogging, it doesn't. So in Boulder, where we have a shoe recycling program, we pick up shoes that are dumped in bins at uh, running shoe stores and send them to Africa mm -hmm. as free shoes for people. And a very high percentage of those shoes, unfortunately, were Newtons. Now, as it happens, Newton is a great shoe or was a great shoe. But if you're a jogger, it was too finely tuned. You, as you said, you have to get up to a certain speed to have used that technology. Otherwise, it sort of pushed back and hurt your shin. And so I'm glad that An is very cognizant of that and is tuning their shoes for that uh, purpose. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this is the, the fastest known podcast. Um, also recognize that most runners out there, they just want to get out and, and clear their mind and be, you know, with themselves, feel nature, feel their breath, decompress, um, maybe lose weight, whatever their motivation is. But going as fast as possible is not one of their motives. Right. For me, it's losing weight, but uh, yeah, I'm still working on it. <laughs> well, the technology story is excellent. And we're going to put in the written show notes on our website, the link to your website. But shifting gears a little bit, as I look on your website, it's very cool. So that's another technology that An has done. And this is just my personal opinion, of course, just how... I've been in the industry for 45 years, so I kind of notice things like this. Your website looks good. You're sharp. It's cool. It's minimalistic. And again, you can go, listeners can go to the show notes, but right there, 
where it says the story starts in Switzerland. There is a picture of you three founders sitting in a shower. And I should note fully clothed, but what a photo. You're sitting under the stream of water looking at the camera with big smile. So you want to hear how cool you want to hear the story behind that picture? Well, there has to be a story. Yeah, it's actually a good story. So this photo was taken in April. And in April is still a pretty cold month in Switzerland. So the snow had just melted. The water coming out of these showers were, was maybe 40 degrees Fahrenheit at most. Oh, okay. Olivia's face, he's already um, hyperventilating. <laughs> I was kind of cool because the water just started to hit my head. David, um, who's I think it's the furthest right on the picture, the water's not even on his head yet, so he's still smiling. But now here's the clue. Um, the person that turned up the water, we were going to take the picture without the water just because we liked the blue wall. But the person that actually uh, turned up the the shower was Tegla Loru, the uh, world champion a runner from Kenya, um, several time New York Times marathon winner, um, world record holder for pretty much every distance from 10K to marathon. Um, and she was one of the first people to run in ons. And uh, she has been a, a very dear friend, despite the little um, prank she played on us with that shower. Wow. So it wasn't some brilliant photographer. She just turned on the water. And you that's why that look of surprise. Yeah. There's a second photo where we're sprinting off literally about a tenth of a second later. <laughs> well, again, maybe I've been in the industry too long, but these are the things I notice. I noticed uh, when people have a particular vision and a flair, and on, I think, has that. You've, you've kept it interesting. How do you see the running industry now, Casper? It's it's big, you know, 44 million pairs of running shoes in the U.S. for, you know, $64 billion worldwide. I mean, it's big, and you are doing a good job carving out your niche of the market. So how does how does this work? How do you see it? What are the challenges? Running is definitely a great space to be in because running, in the end, is, is your least Time investment for the best workout. Time is scarce and more and more, I mean, obviously, you know, of course, you know, we're European and in the US, these are very um, far developed countries. But if you have a look at countries in Asia, in, in South America, um, that are just now um, going from people that work in the fields to going uh, to the factories to being in offices, they start to have lifestyles like um, uh, we've had them in, in Western Europe or in the U.S. for the last 40, 50 years. So basically, they need, to, they need to move. They need to do sports to stay healthy. And at the same time, running was, for many, for many uh, uh, decades, a male-dominated. On truly believes that the future of running is female. Who is starting to run? Who's really engaging um, it's a lot of female and they're becoming younger and younger. So um, that it's so we have both a demographic shift, an age shift and um, and a geographic shift. Um, so the running industry, as you say, is getting bigger. Um, and what's kind of interesting is that running is pretty much the same all over the world. 
it's not like Asians run different than Americans or, or Europeans. I would say the Africans run a little bit different, mostly faster. But um, uh, apart from that, you know, their body types, their, their, their uh, foot size and so on. If you're a runner, um, there's not much, that much difference. But it's truly a global market. And Ancha started in China um, a couple months ago with, with great early success. And it's really interesting when I fly um, to, to, to China to meet runners and go running with them. Um, I remember a trip uh, about a year ago to Shanghai. We went to a store and they had invited their customers and we had 20 people there. And out of the 20 people, 15 were ultra marathoners. Right. I'll be honest, I have not met 15 ultra marathoners in my 10 years of on. <laughs> I don't know. That there they were. But right. in China, it looks like everybody I meet is like interested in the extreme distances. These are people that started running 12 months earlier. So if they get right. behind it, they get behind it uh, very seriously. Well, China does that exactly. I appreciate that story. The last time I was in China, I noticed I developed my little one liner about that, which is they see what they're, we are doing and then do that one step past it. They don't do the progression. They skip the entire history. They see what we're doing and then just leapfrog it once and start right there. Yeah, fully agree with that. Indeed, the, uh, indeed, the uh, online, the online there is just crazy. They, they skipped to the most part, uh, retail sales distribution. And we have something here that we call Amazon Prime Day in Europe. Maybe there's something like that. We think, you know, Amazon is just this gargantuan company. But in China, of course, Taobao and Tmall owned by Alibaba dwarf anything else in the world. And they just, they might, a housewife might order her dinner groceries at noon and they'll be delivered to her house to cook at 5 p.m. So there's not a lot, but the ones that are there, they're very similar to what you would find in, in, in London or in Chicago or in, uh, in, in pretty much any, any city. So that format exists and they are the nucleus of the sport. And that's where the people that want to become runners um, they they come and they find the new the new stuff. So on is actually working very closely with these stores. But then what you also see in China is that um, because there's not that much multi-brand uh, distribution, um, you need mono-brand stores. And on has just opened uh, its first three stores. Um, and the Chinese they like to shop. They like to go out there. And of course, um, an onshu. Um, is not is not something that everybody in China can afford. So it is it is a, a premium luxury sports uh, product. Interesting. Why well, you opened your own branded store? Like you say, it's different there. Branded stores are the norm. So this, uh, pardon me, I, I appreciate business. Business translates to everyone who's listening. So I'm going to ask you a business question. Amer Sports, the owner of Solomon, as well as many other brands was recently sold to this shoe company in China I had literally never heard of called Anta. Mm -hmm. And this was sold for 5.2 billion US dollars cash. So China is a gigantic force to be reckoned with, aren't they? I mean, they also have the Olympics coming and they know that they have 
a huge health issue coming their way. And so they want, I mean, the government wants people to do sports and um, there's a lot of investment going into, into sports, whether it's running tracks um, that are coming up in the cities, whether it's races, whether it's ski resorts, the, the Chinese are building more ski resorts than, than, than what we have uh, in, in, in Central Europe, in the Alps combined. Um, there's a lot of stuff coming in, and, and I think uh, Armour Sports portfolio was a good match um, for where they see the future the future is going. I can't help but note that Switzerland, where you're based, has always been famous as a neutral country. Well, meanwhile, my country, the U.S., is currently engaged in a bizarre trade war with China where there's no winner and losers. Both are losers. And so at least you're out of that bizarre scene. Yes, we're, we're kind of watching from the sidelines now. You know, being Swiss is a blessing and a curse in a way that our whole market is very small. We're eight, about 8 million people in Switzerland. So unlike uh, a Nike or, or, or later an Under Armour, you know, that could build up the brand and in their whole market and get to a couple billion revenues before uh, they, they started to, to go international. We went international from day one. You know, every run we feel has its own story. Um, so we want to tell these stories and make them available, enjoyable to, to other runners out there. And what we've done, we've, we've connected with a couple of runners. Some of them are on athletes. Others are, are randomly cho chosen runners. And we've basically asked them, what is your dream run that you always wanted to do? And we give them a carte blanche and we give them a video crew and, and they go out and do that run. And uh, one of them that was actually just finished uh, in July was when Katie Scheidt, the, the American ultramarathoner, um, and her boyfriend, Jermaine, they did a very special project in New Hampshire uh, when they were trying to attempt the uh, fastest known time from a hut to hut. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is going to release very soon. Excellent. Well, this is now, now Katie, I think, lives in Switzerland with Jermaine, does she not? She actually studies in Switzerland and Zurich. She's, um, she's very interested in geology and obviously the Swiss know something about mountains. But she <laughs> now lives mostly, spends most time with Germaine in the south of France. They live at oh. 6,000 feet of altitude. Well, we feel honored. The Hut to Hut is a famous traverse in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And so we are pleased that someone would want to come from the south of France to go to New Hampshire as their dream run. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, we're, we're excited. Um, I don't want to be a spoiler, but um, it definitely went well. And we will have Katie and Jermaine on this very podcast. It will be released two weeks from right now. From and They will tell us about their hut to hut. Katie is, and Jermaine, of course, are the people we were referring to who did well at the Marathon du Mont Blanc and at UTMB. So that'll be a good conversation. Two weeks, we'll hear what it's like to live in Europe and uh, race in Europe and be from America. There are two different styles there. So this will be a very interesting episode. I look forward to hearing it. Thank you very much for your time, Casper. Congratulations on On. And we look forward to seeing uh, what's, what's new and what's next. Thank you.